You are listening to the weekly podcast of Fellowship Paragold, a church committed to making the real Jesus known to every man, woman, and child. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.fellowshipparagold.com. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 is where we're going to be. I'm going to read in verse 9 uh, through verse 12. Paul, inspired by the Spirit, writes the following. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more, and to aspire to live quietly, and to mind your own affairs, and to work with your hands as we've instructed you to do, so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. Let's pray together uh, one more time. Father, um, I come before you and I just, I just have so much stuff swirling in my mind as I've read books and studied and listened to lectures and read articles and all sorts of things over this for the last couple years. And I want so desperately uh, for every man, woman, and child in this room to discover more and more of who they are in you and what it is that you've called them to do for a living for the good of others and for your glory. And so um, I pray that, Holy Spirit, that you'll be able to remove the distractions that, that would possibly keep us from hearing what it is that you are calling us to do. I pray that you will speak through your word today and give us the ears and the eyes and, and the heart to receive this and to step into being the men and women you've created us to be. And it's in Jesus' name that we do pray this. Amen. Well, if you were to look at my work resume from the time I was 16 to the time I was 20, what you would find is I worked 10 different jobs in six short years. Um, from, sh- uh, from shoveling manure in horse barns uh, to filing policies at MF Block Insurance, which is now operated by Kirk and, and Philip, uh, to uh, putting black pieces of tape over the word Napa on welding machines at Lakeside Metals, which is owned and operated by our very own Kyle Lane. And by the way, um, Adam also worked that job with me. He lasted one week. Um, he was fired because we were supposed to be taking black pieces of tape and putting over the word Napa on these welding machines, which I'm not really sure why. I'm not convinced that we weren't working for the mafia, like without knowing it. But instead of putting his black pieces of tape over the word Napa, he would try to see how many black pieces of tape he could put on the back of this poor soul who worked with us without him knowing it uh, before lunch break. And so eventually he got busted doing that and uh, was let go. And so, but worked at Lakeside Metals. I went from there to busting tables at Hunan's to making root beer floats with our very own Hillary Treat at A&W Root Beer, a restaurant that her parents owned here in town, to selling shoes to the elderly women at Belk to landscaping yards at Adam's Nursery, to selling knives door-to-door, to to eventually selling jeans at the Buckle. I mean, literally, from 16 to 20, I bounced from job to job to job trying to find meaningful work. And I remember during this season of my life, just like aimlessly, just kind of, you know, drifting from place of employment to place of employment with this just kind of low-grade sense of apathy and despair and discouragement around the idea of work. I mean, I'd kind of begin to believe at this point in my life that that work was nothing more than this necessary evil, you know, like something you had to do like just to make it through life. And this really kind of continued all the way up till I was 20 years old. And one night uh, in October, I'll never forget it, I'd just given my life to Jesus, and uh, I was actually standing in the shower of all places, and I believed wholeheartedly that I heard the voice of God, not audibly, but in my heart. And he called me just as clear as I can remember it to spend my life in full-time vocational ministry, 
to give my life in the workplace to teach people the ways of Jesus. And though at the time I had no idea what this looked like, I didn't know exactly where I was going to go or how I was going to get there. Over the next six years, what happened in a lot of this calling is I went on a journey that involved training and sacrifice and prayer and wrestling with questions and going to get extra schooling and working some less than glamorous jobs like cleaning toilets and then working some kind of cool jobs like being a college minister. And finally, at the end of it all, I was able to come and plant this church. And now that I've been in this six years as a full-time pastor, I stand before you and I tell you, like, I'm experiencing more joy and more peace and more fulfillment in my vocation, in my work, than I ever thought was possible. And the whole reason I share that is not to say, hey, you should quit all of the jobs that you're doing and become pastors and you'll find fulfillment too. I actually think that'd be a terrible idea. I think that would be detrimental to the mission that God has given us. So I'm not trying to say that at all, but rather the point I want to make is this. I think whether it's a pastor or a plumber, a doctor or a ditch digger, no matter who you are or where you come from, God has made you, you, an individual, with a specific skill set and has called you in light of that to a specific job that he wants you to do for his glory. A job that when you will step into it, literally will come alive in a way that others around you will be able to experience the presence and the beauty of God like never before. And therefore, because I believe the scripture teaches this, I think one of the key tasks in our discipleship to Jesus, which is something we never talk about in the church, is this reality that we need to discover what that work is that God has given us and how to step into it. We need to spend time unearthing the things that God has specifically laid on our hands to do. And listen, the reason this is so important for you today, even if you're here and you're not even sure you're a Christian yet, the reason this this conversation is so important is because if you never really step into the work that God has created you to do, you'll never fully rest. And that's kind of the irony this morning that we're going to see in the scriptures. There is what we're going to see in our passage today, such thing as a restless work. There's a kind of work that that you can do that you're never going to be content in, you're never going to be satisfied, you're always going to be complaining and bickering and moaning, and then there's such thing as a restful work, a work that I think we're all after today, and the good news is Paul shows us how we can get there. And the first thing that we have to see if you look back in 1 Thessalonians 4 is what Paul wants us to see is that if we're going to experience a restful work, If we're going to step into the kind of work that we were created to do, we need to realize that we were created by God, ultimately to step into a vocation where we can give ourselves to working for the benefit of others. And here's where I get this from. If you look back with me in in 1 Thessalonians verses 9 and 10 and 11 and 12, it seems like it's two totally different subjects, doesn't it? I mean, in verses 9 and 10, Paul is talking about loving one another. And then in verses 11 and 12, he's talking about this idea of work. And it seems, again, like two totally different issues, but it's actually the same context. And what Paul is ultimately getting at here is this. He's saying, hey, he's saying, do you really want to love other people well? Well, here's what you do. You go from being a consumer to being a contributor to society. He says, hey, you want to care well for my creation? Then get to work. Step into a vocation where you take the raw materials of the world and work them together for the good of humanity. This is what Paul is is getting at. And this is not a new concept for Paul. Um, if you can, hold your uh, place in 1 Thessalonians 4 and turn with me over to Genesis 1. I want you to see this with your own eyes. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. 
Um, what Paul is hitting on here is what Paul wants us to see is that, that that calling that we have, the calling to work for the benefit of others, is something that's absolutely rooted in our identity and, and who we are as human beings. And so if you look with me in Genesis chapter 1, I'll actually get a running start in verse 26. Look at this, very first page of the Bible. It says, God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Isn't that incredible? One of the things that makes us unique among all of God's creation, we're made in the image of God. Let us make man in our image after our likeness. And then, look at this, let them have dominion, or many translations say let them rule, if you like a more like 80s word. right? Let them have dominion, let them rule over the fish and the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on earth. And then look at this, so, verse 27, God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created them, male and female, he created them, and then God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, which I think we've done a pretty good job of, and subdue it, and look at this, and then have dominion over the fish and the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Now listen, if you've ever asked the question, why in the world are humans here on earth? Your answer is right here. The answer is right here. And the answer is so that we will have dominion over the earth. So that literally in the Hebrew, we are here right, to partner with God in taking the world somewhere. As human beings, one of the things that makes us unique is literally what we see here. It's what theologians call the cultural mandate. We are here on this earth to image God by taking order and creating, or by taking chaos and creating order, or by taking discord and creating harmony, right? All for the purpose of blessing creation for the glory of the creator. And therefore, what this means then is the way as human beings, we have to get this, the way as human beings that we image the invisible God, the way that we live as the creator's representatives to the creation is to quite simply put it to work for the good of others. Just as God, the one whom we are created in the image of, works in the good for us. And therefore, it's in light of this reality, if you flip back to Thessalonians, what Paul is saying, listen guys, is this. You were made to work. If you really want to come alive... If you really want to experience the life that God has created you to experience, you need to realize you were, as a human being, made to work. And not just to get a paycheck, but you were, you were made by God to work so that you could benefit society for God's glory. Now, immediately this flies in the face of our modern definition of work. Because whenever we talk about work, don't we talk about work as in something that we do to make a living? Right? A lot of times we talk about work as in it's something we have to do so that we can have money to do the things we really want to do. Right? Like that's why we use the, the phrase, we're working for the weekend. And, and so like if you adopt this definition of work, think about what it does. If you are, for example, a doctor and you adopt a modern definition of work, you practice medicine not because you want to relieve suffering but because it just makes you more money than maybe another job you could have picked. Or if you are a lawyer, you, you, you take briefs not because you have passion for justice, 
but because it supports your lifestyle. Or if you work in a factory, maybe you work in a factory not because it helps you build up a better life for other people, but because you're like, I just like a job that, that has a routine, or it's like the best job I could have at the time to make money, you know, the best amount of money that I could make in this season of life. And, and I want you to hear me. Listen, there's nothing wrong with wanting to make money. There's nothing sinful with wanting to make money. But here's what you have to understand, guys. Please hear me. Money is like breathing. You have to breathe to live, correct? But who in the world wants to live just to breathe? Does that make sense? You have to work to make money so that you can survive. But if you're working just to make money, you you have lowered the bar so far on why you exist and what work is really all about. According to what Paul is saying here in Thessalonians, is when you work, you are not to work. If you want to find the job that God has created you to do, you need to realize you're to step into a work, into a job, not just to draw a paycheck, but you need to realize work is about you doing something good for humanity. It is literally, listen to this, guys, work is literally, according to Scripture, a gracious expression of creative energy that God has given you so that you can benefit others. And I know for some of you, maybe you're sitting here like, well, that sounds really romantic and grandeur, but, but Jared, my job literally does not benefit anybody. I mean, like I sit in a cubicle all day and just like enter data, you know, or I sweep floors or, uh, you know, like I, basically I work on an assembly line or Jared, like my work is as pointless as you putting black pieces of tape over the word Napa. And if that's where you are, let me just encourage you with these words from author and professor Gene Edward Veith, who has done more work on, on Christian vocation than I know of, of anybody else who has. And so listen to what he says here. I hope this encourages you. These are for people who right now in the room are thinking, my work is pointless. It doesn't matter. I do the same thing over and over every day. It's not significant. Okay? Listen to what Veith says. When we pray the Lord's Prayer... We ask God to give us our daily bread, and he does. Okay, No new news there. But look at this. And the way that he gives our daily bread is to the vocations of farmers, millers, and bakers. We might also add truck drivers, factory workers, bankers, warehouse attendants, and the lady at the checkout counter. Virtually every step of our whole economic system contributes to that piece of toast you had for breakfast. And when you thank God for the food that he provided, you're right to do so. The point that Veith is making here is this. When you thank God for a piece of toast, you're not only thanking God for the food that you're about to eat, you're thanking God for the people and the skills and the mundane processes that got the food from the field to the plate. And therefore, here's what this means, guys. No matter how pointless you think that your work is, by God's design, what we discover when we look at something as simple as a piece of toast is that God chooses to bring about extraordinary provision through ordinary people and ordinary means. That's incredible to me. That God chooses, listen to that again, to to bring about extraordinary provision through ordinary people and an ordinary means. And and listen, if that's true, here's what that means. Even the most mundane task that you will do on Monday morning, when it's moral work, when it's good work, when you do it to the best of your ability, it has the fingerprints of God on it. That's incredible to me. I think about my brothers and sisters at Allen Engineering. We got like 15 people in our church that work at Allen Engineering. Yes. I expect to hear that when I'm talking about the gospel in a second. Um, (laughs) and so, um, 
You know, the thing is, Allen Engineering, I, I go up there every Thursday because I do some chaplain work for them two hours out of the week. And when I go up to Allen Engineering, I see the same people doing the same jobs over and over and over again. And I would think that, that if I was in that job, there are times where it could feel unrewarding. There are times where it could feel monotonous. But here's the reality. At Allen Engineering, they build concrete equipment, by the way, so that we can have like foundations uh, like this. This is why uh, that, that mundane work is so important. If we don't have concrete equipment, which is built at Allen Engineering, we don't have foundations, right? If we don't have foundations, we don't have buildings. If we don't have buildings, guess what? We don't have banks. We don't have schools. We don't have universities. We don't have hospitals. By you at Allen Engineering turning your wrench the same way every single day, you're literally, by God's design, saving lives. Like, it does not matter what you think about your job. If it's good moral work, like legal work, your work matters. It matters. Like, like now, no matter how mundane it seems, it is significant in the kingdom of God because when you do those small, meaningless tasks with the best of your ability, God, by His design, the way He set up the world to work, uses it for the good of humanity. And listen, if you're going to step into the type of job that God created you to do, you got to get that. You're not looking for a job just to make money. You're looking for a job where you feel like, man, I can step into it and I can work for the good of others. But secondly, and this is where I'm going to spend most of the time this morning, we're not just called to step into a job where we can do work for the good of others. We're called to step into a job that we have specifically been wired by God to do. And here's where I get this from. In verse 11, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 11, Paul says, aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we have instructed you. Now, first, when I read this, it kind of reminded me of Dana Carvey, uh, Dana Carvey's the church lady character from SNL, right? It's like, she's like, he's just like, it seems like Paul's scolding them, like nagging, like, get to work and be quiet, mind your own business, right? That's what it seems like. But all the commentators... And all the scholars who dive into this and do the original language, they all agree that what Paul is ultimately saying here is this. When it comes to work, you need to strive for quiet. You need to strive for rest. Now, here's what that means. He's writing to a group of people who have really kind of stopped working. They believe that Jesus is coming back any day, and because of that, they stopped working. They're just like basically sitting up in trees and making jam and like waiting for the rapture, right? And and because of that... What's happening is they're bored, they're restless, they're complaining, they're bothering others. I mean, the point is they are not quiet on the inside. They're they're unsettled. And what Paul says in here is the antidote to that restlessness is work. And what Paul is alluding to here, listen, guys, he's alluding to something that's all over Scripture. It comes up over and over again in the Bible in places like Ephesians 2 and Hebrews 13. And here's the idea. There is a work that you should do that fits your insides. That fits your abilities and your God-given passions and interests. In other words, what Paul is getting at here is he's saying all of work is an outward calling from God that should align with the way that God made us to be. Therefore... There is a job, what Paul is saying, that you should step into, that when you step into it in Christ, you can experience a quietness and a restfulness even in the midst of your work. So the question is, in light of that, is this. When you think about your job right now, whatever that is, stay-at-home mom, which is absolutely a job. Amen? Amen? 
So in American culture, by the way, not, this is not in my notes. Like we have made that like a second class job. You read the scripture, like, man, that's, that's top of the line, man. That's the real life stuff right there. Um, not to degrade people who are not stay-at-home moms. That's great too. There's options there in the gospel and freedom to do that. But uh, whatever your job is, here's my point. Stay-at-home mom, secretary, school teacher. Here's the question I want you to consider. When it comes to your work, is there a quietness inside of your soul right now? When you think about what it is that you're going to be doing tomorrow morning in two-thirds of your adult life, do you experience a rest in the work? If not, there may be several reasons for why that is, but one of the reasons may be you're not doing what God created and called you to do. And I don't want you to misunderstand me this morning. I do not believe there is just like one job out there for every person, and if you don't get it, you're going to be miserable the rest of your life. It's like, you know, that's kind of the people, it's like there's just one spouse, there's one man, or there's one woman out there for every person. And if you don't marry that person, you're, you're in big trouble. And I'm like, if that was true, don't you know some goober 2,000 years ago screwed that up for all of us by marrying the wrong person? You know, it's like, it's, that's crazy. And so I don't believe there's just one job out there for every person. If you don't get it, you're not going to be happy. But what I do believe is there is a spectrum of jobs out there. And within that spectrum, there is a range of jobs that if you will fall into that range, you'll come alive. Like you will, you will be thrilled to get up and do the work that it is that God has created you to do. And listen, guys, this is what we want as pastors so badly for every one of you in here. So badly. Like we want more than, that's why we launched this series. We want so badly to see you discover exactly who God has created you to be. To see how he's wired you, to understand who you are in Christ and the calling he has placed on your life. And then watch you literally begin to, to build a career around that for the good of others and the glory of God. But here's the problem, and you're all thinking it, right? Thessalonians, right, or this book, it's written by the Apostle Paul who clearly knew what God had called him to do. Like, it was easy for him. In Acts chapter 9, he's on his little horse. He's riding on the road to Damascus. All of a sudden, bam, he's knocked off of his horse. Jesus says to him, Paul, you are my chosen instrument, end quote. This is who you are. This is your identity. Now, in light of that calling, go and preach the gospel. Spend your life proclaiming my good news. That's pretty clear, right? I mean, most of us in here, I'm guessing, have not had a Saul on the road to Damascus moment. I'm guessing most of you in here were not like walking in Walmart one day, and bam, you're knocked down with a flash of lightning, and God's like, Joe, why are you a banker? Like, I made you to be a professional luchador, or whatever it may be. Like, that's that's not most of our experience. So the question is, how can I know what it is that God has called me to do? How can I know? And I believe, and I'm not going to give you a verse and text and all this in the Greek or whatever else, but I believe there are six questions that all of us need to be wrestling with. Six questions, and I'm going to get super practical in this part of my message. I'm going to put it on the screen for you. This is also an app. Six questions that we all need to try to answer no matter how old you are, even if you're like in here and you're 60, I just read this morning the uh, average lifespan has gone up to now almost 79. So congratulations. You still got a good 19 years ahead of you. All right? So don't assume, man. Like God can do whatever he wants. He might be wanting you to spend the next 19 years different than the first 60, right? And if you're a teenager in here, let me just say this too. Like this is really good stuff, okay? Like, I'm not just saying that because, come on, I mean, I wish somebody would have taught me this. So parents, wake up your teenagers. 
get ahead of the curve, okay? Like, take notes on this. This actually, the questions I'm about to read off to you, it's going to be on your app. Um, as we said, every week we're giving you a practice so you're not just, like, listening to this and saying, oh, okay, that was cool, I didn't like that message or whatever, but so you can apply what you're learning in real time. So get on your app. These questions will be on there. Uh, wrestle through these questions, talk to your spouse about these questions, talk with your fight club about it. And um, yeah, so here we go. Six questions to help you unearthing, kind of excavating the calling that God has placed on your life. Okay, the first question is around this idea of passion. And here's the question you need to be asking yourself. What do I love? A lot of times when it comes to choosing our calling, it's amazing to me how we'll just cut our hearts right out of that equation. Start with asking that question. God has given you specific interests and desires that are different than mine. You need to pay attention to that. What do I love? What am I passionate about? What is it that you think about? What keeps you awake at night? For me, right, and I'm going to tie everything back to my profession as a pastor, right, And this, but it goes with everybody, again, whether you're a plumber or whatever you do. But for me, whenever I was 21 years old, I remember literally, and this is going to be weird to some of you, fantasizing about being a pastor, like, literally, I, I would go and listen to people preach wherever I could go, and I would sit there and I would listen to them preach and think, how would I have preached that text differently? Or I would read books. on. I mean, I literally, before I ever got paid a penny, before anybody ever offered me a job, it's all I could think about was being a pastor. So start there. Like, I mean, what are you passionate about? Second question, because passion alone is not enough, you need to ask this question. It's around the idea of personality. What are you good at? Or another way of asking it, what are you bad at? What are you good at or what are you bad at? Whenever I was in middle school, I thought I was really good at basketball, okay? I mean, I literally thought I could be an NBA player. Then I got to junior high, and I realized I'll never be an NBA player because, one, I'm white, and, two, I'm just not very good, okay? So I knew at that point I didn't need to give the rest of my life to trying to become an NBA player. But around this time, I also began to realize because of communication teachers that I had and other people that I had some communication gifting, I realized that I had some leadership ability, that I was able to rally people for a cause, right? So you need to figure that out. Like, what are you good at? What are you bad at? And make sure that you're building your life around the things that you're good at. And one of the ways that we're wanting to help you do that is, um, as a part of your practice this week, and again, you'll see this on the app, is there is a free 10-minute personality test, if you want to take it, called the Myers-Briggs. It's different than the Enneagram. Listen. We've talked a lot about the Enneagram test. Um, obviously, the Enneagram workshop, which was phenomenal this weekend, Adam. Thank you for leading us in that. The Enneagram measures how you relate to people. It measures really the inside. Myers-Briggs measures the outside. It's basically going to tell you like what kind of career, what kind of things basically you're good at and you're bad at. I would encourage you in your quest of discovering your calling, take this Myers-Briggs. Again, highlight things that stick out to you. Talk to your spouse. Talk to your fight club, your missional community about these things. Third question that we need to be trying to ask, answer. This is around the idea of problem. And here's the question here. What does the world need more of or less of? Think about this. When you look out to the world, is there anything that comes to mind that you're like, man, someone should fix that? Yeah, maybe that someone's you. You ever thought about that? Like maybe the reason that's on your mind when you look at something, you're like, man, that's just wrong. Someone should fix that. Maybe God's put that passion and desire there for you for, in your heart for a reason. Go back to my calling again as a pastor. The reason I planted a church in Paragould, Arkansas, is because I saw something here that I thought was a problem. And God began to just burn that inside of my heart to where I realized all of a sudden maybe I'm the guy that God wants to use to go back and be a solution to that problem through the power and authority of Jesus Christ. And so that's why we're here today. So you figure that out. Like, where is their problem? Fourth question. 
This is around the idea of people. And the question here is, what is God wanting to say to you through other people? There are people in your life, listen to me, guys, this is so important. In in a culture of individualism where we think that we have strong community because we have a lot of friends on Facebook, but we really don't know anybody and they don't know us. There are people in your life who have a vantage point into seeing you better than you see yourself. Whether it's your friends, your family, your missional community, your fight club. And I want to encourage you, you need to begin... We're so afraid for people to give us a direct word or to share something with us that might be a little bit ouch, you know, to hear. But we need to get to a point where we stop going just to yes people, to ask them what they think about us, what we're good at, what we're bad at. Have you ever seen the, 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 the American Idol contestants that's just awful? You know how they got there? You know how they have millions of hits on YouTube with people laughing at them now? Because they didn't have any friends in their life who loved them enough to say, dude, you are not a good singer. <laughs> And so what would happen is they only went to people who they knew would tell them what they wanted to hear. And they'd go, oh, you're incredible. Yeah, dude, if you go in, like, you'll kill it. And now they've got millions of fits of people saying, oh, my gosh, that person had zero self-awareness. How could they have been so stupid? You need to surround yourself with people who are going to be willing to speak the truth and love to you. This is an important part of identifying your calling and what it is that you're called, you need to step into. The fifth idea is around this idea of God's providence. And this is a question that's incredibly important. The question here is, what are the doors that God is opening for me? What are some uh, networks that God has given me, some key relationships that seem like it's coincidental, but actually it's not coincidental. God's placed them there for a reason. I think, again, about my job as a pastor. Um, there was a man by the name of Dr. Bill Steger who came into my life, and basically uh, the way I kind of stepped into ministry is he said, hey, I can get you a presidential scholarship at the Southern Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. Whenever I moved to Louisville, I lived right next to a guy named Caleb Potter who took me to a church that taught me about church planting. God's providence. It's not coincidence. Pay attention. Like, what is God blessing? Where is he maybe opening some doors and moving? And then lastly, prompting. What is it that the Holy Spirit is ultimately prompting you to do in your heart? What is it that the Holy Spirit is calling you to do as you're reading Scripture, as you're praying? What is it that the Spirit is leading you to do? And this is so important, guys, because sometimes that first question, passions, it can kill us. Right? There's a way that seems right to man, but in the end it can lead to death. Sometimes our passions and desires, they'll lead us right off a cliff. And that's why you constantly need to be going back to God's word and prayer and in community and saying, Man, what's the Holy Spirit saying? I remember whenever uh, I was working at the Buckle and I remember one day you know, I was folding jeans and I had actually believed that God had called me to start a college ministry. So I started this college ministry, but then after six months it fell apart because I thought, you know, and it was, I was like, oh, I'm just going to quit doing that. And I'll never forget one day I'm in the Buckle, I'm folding jeans, I'm working towards becoming a manager at the Buckle. I'm like, I'm just going to give my career to that. And so um, all of a sudden this guy named Ben Neiser, who is a director of the BCM, walks in. Some of you maybe know of Ben Neiser. He walks into the, the buckle, and he looks at me, and he had the authority to say this in my life. He was a friend. I knew he loved me. He looked. He said, hey, what are you doing? I said, man, I'm folding jeans. What are you doing, man? He said, uh, you know, I just want to come by and see you. He said, hey, are you still doing that college ministry thing? And I said, nah, man. I said, that didn't really turn out well. I'm, I'm not doing that anymore. And he looks right at me, and he said, I thought you said God called you to do that. And did I, the Holy Spirit took at that moment and said, he's absolutely right. I did not call you to be a manager of the buckle. Nothing wrong with that. Not that that's any less sacred or important, but I did not call you to do that. I called you to do this. We need to pay attention to that. You need to listen. What is the Holy Spirit saying that he has called you to do? Now, hopefully, all that said, as you're running your life through that grid, your calling will become more and more clear. Okay? 
And if you're here and after hearing that, you're like, man, thanks a lot. I'm more confused now than ever. Um, don't get stressed out. Okay? Don't get stressed out. As my mentor reminds me all the time, Jared, you don't have to be in a hurry to get there. You just have to be willing to go. And so there's my question. Are you willing to go? Are you willing to trust God with two-thirds of your adult life? To say, man, like, I believe, God, you know better how to run my life than I do. And here's the thing. For most of us, vocation, it starts out vague and ambiguous. I mean, I'm almost 35 years old now, and I praise God by his grace. I have a ton of clarity around who I am and what I've been called to do. But this has been a 14-year journey to get to this point. And so if you're in here and you're still unsure of what it is that God has created and called you to do, I would just encourage you, humbly submit yourself before God, begin to work through these questions in prayer and in community, and then listen, whatever it is that God calls you to do, step into it. If that's to sell insurance, step into it. If it's to be an actress, step into it. If it's to be a secretary, if it's to be a nurse, if it's to be a teacher, if it's to be a stay-at-home mom, trust God, go all in. Listen, if you don't do it, here's the problem. You rob the rest of the world of a blessing that God wants to give the world through you. We've said this all through the series, guys. Please hear this. We need you. The world needs you to be you. And I don't mean that like in the cool millennial hip sense. Like, you do you, man. Like, I mean that as in like we need you to be the most sanctified version of you that God created you to be. And I believe when that happens, when we get serious about this stuff. Because look, this is an hour and a half. Is that what it is? It's like an hour and 20 minutes. This right here. Real life's happening outside of these walls, guys. So we need to identify what it is God has called us to do. And listen, when we do this, when we step into our vocation for the good of others and the glory of God, we'll light this city on fire for the glory of God. I believe that wholeheartedly. And that's what, that's what Paul really leaves us with in verse 12, is whenever he says, do all this so that you walk properly before outsiders, what he's saying is if you really want to make the real Jesus non-ignorable, then you need to get to work and you need to work well with what God's called you to do for their good and for God's glory. Your work matters. And so, if you're here, and I know maybe this is like some of you right now, Jerry, that's all great, but I don't have those options, man. I mean, good for you, buddy. Like, great, you're up there on the stage. You, 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 God, hey, man, you were born into a family. It all worked out well for you. Praise God, man. That's fantastic. But I don't have that option, dude. I made stupid decisions in my past. I don't have a college degree. I don't have any options, man. What I'm doing, I'm just stuck doing for the rest of my life. Well, first off, I would gently push back and say, I think that's probably a lie from the enemy. I think you have a lot more options than you think you do, especially in a country like ours. But let's assume you don't. Let's assume that's true, that you really have no other option than to do exactly what it is that you are doing right now. If that's where you are, then listen, I want to encourage you to trust that God is good and that he's in control and that he has you where he has you right now for a reason. I want you to trust that God's bigger than your circumstances. I want you to trust that he has you where he has you right now for a reason. And listen, if you will believe that, and if rather than complaining when you wake up and bickering over, I have to do this again, if you will wake up humbly and with gratitude in your heart that at least you have some job that you can do, whatever that is, and you will do that to the best of your ability for the good of others and the glory of God. 
man, I believe that God will honor that. And I believe, listen, if you'll be faithful in this season of your life where you're not maybe necessarily doing exactly what you want to be doing, I honestly believe that what I see in the scriptures is God will over time begin to open more and more doors where you'll begin to step more and more and more into being the man and the woman that he created you to be. I think about BJ Smith. Many of you know BJ who's the leader of the missional community here. Do you realize whenever BJ moved here, what was that, four and a half years ago? I mean, this dude came with nothing to Paragold, except for like a rap sheet like a mile long. I mean, he went into to prison when he was 17 for manslaughter. Um, came out when he was 26, went back in and back out of prison all the way until he was 33 for meth addiction. Ruined everything, lost his kids, lost his wife, lost everything that he had, and eventually met Jesus in prison. Uh, gave over the gang life and, and, and decided that he wanted to, to move back here and make things right with his wife, Brooke. Many of you know his story and his, and his kids. And so he moved back here. And I remember sitting with you, man, in my old office, man, that little old wooden table. And I'm sitting there, and he's like, man, I have to have a job, obviously, if I want to provide for my family. And so I called Jay Allen, a good friend of mine that uh, owns Allen Engineering here in town. And I said, man, this guy, he is re- just, you can't look at his resume, but will you please give him a job? And he said, yeah. And so literally, BJ went on Allen Engineering and, and working the dirtiest job you can work in that factory. And he was thankful for it. And he showed up every day and he said, all right, God, just help me to use my abilities to the best of my ability uh, right here in this position. And as a result of showing up on time and not, you know, stealing from the company and, and just working hard with his hands, eventually he was promoted to lead man in that area. And then he continued to work hard and eventually he went into quality and he continued to work hard. Now, just recently, he was uh, promoted into a field inspector, which is a huge promotion from where he started out. And that's not just with him. I know that thing, same thing can go with Zach Wilson. I mean, now so many others who, uh, of you in here who have stories where, man, if you were to show up. And, and listen, here's just my point. You may not be in an ideal scenario right now. I get that. But you still need to throw your heart into your work because your work matters to God. Your work is sacred. It's an important part of God's plan in redeeming and restoring humanity. And so I encourage you, get into work, throw yourself to it, and not to get ahead, not to get promotions, not to make money, not to become famous, not to prove something to your dad, but do it as an act of expression of of love and service to humanity. But even more than that, listen, guys, and this is where I want to end this morning, do your work as an act of worship to God. And that's where Paul wants to leave us today. Because we didn't read it earlier, but in 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 1, Paul starts his whole section. Listen to what he says. He says, As for other matters, brothers and sisters, we instruct you how to live in order to please God. And then he goes into a section and talking about how to please God with our sexuality. And then he talks in the section about work. And here's what he's trying to say. Listen, we're about done is what Paul says in here is whenever you work, ultimately you should work in order to please God. Now listen to me very carefully, very carefully, guys. To please God is not the same as to appease God. Do you understand that? Religion, and we're, we're, we're covered in religion here in, in Northeast Arkansas. So this is all God on us. So listen carefully. Religion will tell you you have to appease God. You have to work hard enough, and if you can work hard enough and good enough, God will accept you and then say, okay, now I'm pleased with you. That's not the gospel. The gospel says you don't have to appease God. Jesus has appeased God on your behalf. The gospel tells us that we are not saved or accepted by our work. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and the finished work of Christ alone. And here's the thing. 
when we get this, whenever we finally receive grace, and we realize I'm a beloved child of God, that I do please the Father, when you realize, as we said two weeks ago, that now everything that is true of Jesus is true of me, then you won't work to try to gain an identity. You already have the greatest identity. You won't work to try to gain value and self-worth. You already have ultimate value and self-worth. You, you will not work in order to earn God's love, but you will work from a place where you realize you already are loved. And then what that means, listen, when you go to work tomorrow and you know you're loved and you already please God because of Christ, no matter what your job is, you can show up at work tomorrow out of a sheer pleasure of knowing that you bring pleasure to your Father. I think about the movie, The Chariots of Fire. I don't know if anybody's seen that movie. And uh, that's kind of like me in tennis in high school, Kenny. And uh, Kenny, sorry, Kenny Ford told me yesterday tennis ain't a real sport. So still thinking about that. And uh, Chariots of Fire, it's about uh, Eric Liddell and Harold Abrams. Both of them are running. Both of them are seeking a gold medal. And if you've seen this movie, you remember what Eric Liddell says? He's in the middle of the movie, and, and his sister's talking to him about, hey, you're supposed to be going to China, be a missionary over there. And he says, hey, I, I do believe that God's called me to go to China. And I do believe he made me to be a missionary, but I also believe that God made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. That's 1 Thessalonians 4.1. What he's saying is this. I know that God has gifted me to run fast. I know he's called me to do this kind of work. And when I do what I know God has called me to do from a place of knowing I'm already loved, when I work, I feel the pleasure of knowing I'm pleasing the one who created me to do this exact thing. On the other hand in this movie, you have Harold Abrams who says literally in the movie, I'm 24, I've never known contentment, I'm in ever pursuit, and I have, he says, he's a short distance runner. He says, and I have literally 10 seconds to justify my entire existence. You see the difference between the two? They're both working hard, but one knows what he's after, the other doesn't. One feels the pleasure of God. One is able to rest even when he's exerting himself. The other was weary even whenever he was trying to rest. Questions this morning, where are you? When it comes to your work, there is such thing as a restful work and a restless work. God created you to do a restful work. Are you experiencing rest in your work? If not, listen, here's the good news this morning. And this story will end. God wants you to experience rest no matter what it is that you're doing right now. No matter where you are. And I'm reminded of that in scriptures. Jesus says, literally come to me, all who labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And then you know what he says next? Take up my yoke. The yoke is a work instrument. Jesus says, come to me and I'll give you rest. And that doesn't mean, hey, lay down here for a while. He means, no, get to work, but yoke up with me. Walk in step with how I've created you to live, and then you will experience rest.